Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Friday, uh, April 14th edition of the podcast. And Jake, I don't say this very often on the show, but I'm actually a little nervous for today's show. We've, we've got a lot to talk about. This is a very highly consequential last, I mean, 24 hours of Ducks news. So we've got a lot of ground to cover here, and it, it feels important today. Yeah, I mean... Could we say the last 24 hours are some of the most consequential 24 hours in the history of this franchise? Uh, yes, undoubtedly. Yeah, like the the fact that, I mean, we'll get into everything as everyone knows. So that there's no spoilers here, obviously, because everyone knows already. And the Ducks finished 32nd, and they have the best chances in this upcoming draft for Connor Bedard. And they announced this morning that they would not be renewing Dallas Aiken's contract. And this... This feels like a momentous occasion, and, and while we'll get into a bit more of the Dallas Aikens thing, and while there is some, I don't know if conflicted feelings the right way to put it, but I think I feel sorry for him. I, I think no matter what you want, you feel bad for someone when they lose their job, regardless of how we felt about him. I think there's the personal side of it, but this is a massive moment for this Ducks franchise. They are going to make a massive change in the coaching staff, and hopefully one that really uh, brings them forward. You and I were both of the opinion that Dallas Aikens really brought down the roster in terms of their five on five play and on ice play. And so you can have this massive leap going into next season, not just behind the bench, but also potentially on the ice with an acquisition of a generational talent. And not only that, even if you don't end with Bedard, you end up with a fantastic player after that. So there's going to be a lot that we'll get into right now. Yeah. So let's, let's just start. I don't know. Should we start with the draft? Should we start with the coach? Let's start with the coach. Yeah, I think that we should just kind of dispatch that that topic first. Because that's also what came out today. It's the fresh in our minds. So this morning, you already mentioned it, but announced by the team that they would not be renewing uh, Dallas Aiken's contract, which, you know, it, it, it's... I, I, I almost wrote the word fired in my article, but they didn't fire him because there was no contractual relationship anymore between Correct. the two parties. Correct. So this is just kind of like, hey, we're just not bringing you back. Um let go to me is the is the best term, the most appropriate term that I can I think mean, of. Contract not renewed. Yeah, it's that, just there, there's just no more privity of contract between these two parties. So he's gone, and I think really now before we unpack all the narratives and and what this means and blah blah, blah just just your gut reaction. Just what are your thoughts? What were your thoughts when you first saw it, and and how have your thoughts maybe? evolved and percolated as the as the day has gone on here um i think when i first saw it i went wow and i had someone reply to me on twitter basically saying how is this a a, a big announcement or massive announcement when it's something that we all should have been expecting and while yes that that is definitely the case it, it's something i think we've talked about at length it's some all this different type of stuff but i think it's one of those things where until it happens you there's always i think that little bit in the back of your head that's always like well, will they actually bring him back for next year? You had Eric Stevens write an article this week and brought up the fact that the connection with Eiserman and Blaschel and brought that up as a potential thing where maybe the Ducks bring back Dallas Akins. You had even, um, and we'll get into this a bit more, but Elliot Friedman mentioned that the Ducks are really interested in uh, this uh, coach in Slovakia. I think Austria, Austria. There we go. Austria. Sorry. Um, and bring him over to be the AHL coach and maybe the future coach of the team. And it's like, He's like, maybe Dallas Aikens would have been kept to keep that, but that, or as a placeholder. But I think once this was announced, it was like, okay, this team's going in the right direction. The right moves are being made. 
And for all the talk, I think, that you heard from national media sources, from even Pat Verbeek at times, of this season's not about the wins and losses. This season's about development, right? Um, That even with that being the case, to Pat Verbeek, that wasn't good enough. And I think from the national media perspective, there was a lot of coding over that saying these guys have gotten better. And Pat Verbeek and his media availability today even said um, it's very hard to develop when you're stuck in your own zone for extreme lengths of time. And I think at least just having that assessment of, yes, this was a problem and development was not as uh, development was not as good as a lot of people out there were making it out to be for for Mason McTavish, for Trevor Zegers, for all of these guys out there. And so it, it just feels like it was a an acknowledgement of all of that. And so I think that that was my first uh, my first gut feeling on all your, of it. Your, your gut feeling was the Pat Verbeek uh, press conference, which hadn't happened yet? Fair, fair. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. I just went on. You know how I am. Um, <laughs> I guess. So, yeah, to go back to initial gut feel, it, it was relief, I guess, it is to yeah. put it to one word. Yeah. I feel like this this whole situation was to me like a sanity check. It was like, has Pat Verbeek been watching the same games that we've been watching this season? That's really what it came down to because I think anyone watching, I mean, this is one of the worst teams in NHL history. This is the, this was the worst team in franchise history. I just don't think we can really overstate how bad this team was. Like I, you know, we follow hockey analytics. We look at teams numbers every single year and I've rarely seen a team finish the entire go the entire season and finish under 40% with an expected goals for percentage under 40%. Yeah. Like you have to be so bad for that to happen. That was the Ducks number after like five games. And I remember us talking about, Oh, that's so low. Like that will <laughs> yeah. hold Th- this will regress 82 games later. It, they were just as bad. So my reaction was just, okay. Like they've, they passed the sanity check that you want, you want to know how many teams you can't overlook how poorly coached. Sorry, this team go ahead. Was. You want to know how many teams finished under 40% in expected goals for percentage since analytics started being tracked in the 07 08 season? Uh, let me guess three, two. Oh, wow. And the, the Ducks f- are one of them. The Ducks are one of them, and the 14 15 Sabres are the other. Wow. The Connor wow. McDavid Sabres. The Connor McDavid Sabres that were actually trading away anyone that was playing well, if anyone remembers correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So. so- so it's just one of those things where I do feel bad as well. You you said that initially. I do feel bad because Dallas Aikens, I just, when everyone that he comes across is saying, this guy's a great guy, this guy's a great communicator, this guy really gets through to people. Like, I, I put stock in that. I think that no one's twisting a player's arm to, to say nice things about their coach. Like, if, if a player has nothing nice to say, they're, they're usually not going to say it. And, and the inverse is true, where I think that if they do have something nice to say, like they're, they're typically going to come out and, and say something. So, and, and this isn't just players, this is other coaches, this is management, this is ownership. Everyone seems to like this guy, and I think that we should, we should put a great deal of stock into that. I, prob- I think th- the problem is that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily win games. Yeah, and, and I think you did actually a wonderful job, and so I'm going to give you a bunch of kudos here. Oh, in wow. your art, in nice. your article that you put out today on the Sporting Tribune, go check it out. But you did a really wonderful job, I think, of painting it this way, of in a sport that, especially over the last couple of years, has really had a lot of the warts exposed, right? 
a, a lot of the from a coaching perspective, from uh, from a player perspective, from glossing over things and, and everything like that. And I think you you're you feel for a guy like Dallas Akins who seems like one of the good ones, and you wish that there would have been success there and that the tactician uh, element would have been there and the results would have followed because he seems like he's an actually really good person. And while granted, neither of us know that all of these uh, people that are vying for him really speak to that. And so I think to see that when we've got all this other crap that's coming out throughout the league and throughout everywhere. And the fact that he goes at the, the uh, pride March with the uh, for the ducks and goes on all these things and really is out there in the community I think you feel for him because he seems like a genuine person that cared about this organization that cared about this team. And and so I think that that's just one thing that was running through my head a little bit with it. Yeah. And he put out a really classy tweet uh, statement this morning. You know, he said, I will be forever grateful for my eight years in the ducks organization from jumpstarting San Diego to dealing with COVID to a full on rebuild. Uh, It was an inspiring and rewarding challenge. And, I mean, you you guys can go check it out, but it's uh, it's it was just a nice statement. And <laughs> you and I were talking about this today, but I actually wonder when he found out that he was being let go because I don't think that he just created this graphic and this statement. There, like, you know, in like ten minutes after being fired, like maybe maybe Dallas Akins is is just that good. Maybe he's just that well spoken and and maybe has a bit of a graphic design. Uh, twist to him but i that seemed very prepared to me i mean it's very possible that he thought that he was not going to be with the organization that he he read the writing on the wall that yeah he most likely wasn't going to be there and thought that this could be coming soon so he put it out there it's also possible you're right he was told last night and they were going to announce it this morning yeah and so that that's all possible with it yeah and so i guess just to kind of just to stay a bit on the actual facts here before we get into some of the reactions and stuff. What do you think? Why do you think this didn't work with Dallas Higgins? Why are we here? Why are we here today? Four years later, you know, you you'll recall the pomp and circumstance of the press yeah. conference where he was introduced by Bob Murray at the, I think at that time, brand new practice facility in Irvine. And there was a lot of hope. There was a lot of optimism that this kind of I mean, new age coach would, would turn things around. To be quite fair, you and I were very much on board with yep. Dallas Akins being hired. And I think that if we're going to essentially give ourselves pats on the back at various points in time for things that we've said, I think we also need to hold ourselves uh, critical for this of we were very much pro Dallas Akins and thought he would be the right man for the job and come in and do a really good job with the team. And we were wrong, quite frankly. There's really no other way to put it. And so where I think this wrong went wrong is that I think looking back, I think a lot of the things that were said about Dallas Akins, whether it's... Uh, I remember him going on TSN Hockey Analytics. They had a show yeah. on TSN Radio a bunch, and he would go on it a bunch. It really had some wonderful, well-thought-out conversations, quotes about analytics and hockey, about all this stuff. And I feel like at the end of the day, a lot of that stuff almost feels like snake oil salesman in a way. where We were sold a bill of goods. Yeah, where he kind of made it seem like he had this understanding, but at the end of the day his thoughts really went back to this old school way of thinking, whether it was uh, needing to have the Derek Grants, the Nick DeLauriers, uh, those guys of the world, and really putting them out there in these situations. I, I can think back. I think one of his biggest flaws was really falling back on these fourth-line grinders in these defensive situations instead of really understanding that going best against best could be better. And I think back to, I mean, I don't know why this sticks out into my in my head so hard, but during the COVID season, 
um, the the shortened season, the Ducks played the Avalanche because they were in the same division so many times. And there was a game at Honda Center where he hard matched, what was it, Delorier Grant Rowney against the McKinnon line. And they had no shot attempts for over the course of the entire game. That is a great that is a great encapsulation of, and, of everything. And I think that that really I think that really in a nutshell really sums up where things went wrong, thinking that those were the right way to do it. I think the kid gloves with that with with Trevor Zegris. I, I think um other things of defensive systems. I actually thought it was very fascinating that Brian Hayward, and maybe it's a situation where now that Dallas Aiken's gone is gone, he's able to really let loose a little bit more than he would have before, but mentioned that uh, on the the Beaker pod when him and Alexis Downey were breaking down the press conference that he thought it was very interesting and wrong that Dallas Higgins was employing a man-to-man system in the defensive zone when the Ducks have older defensemen that maybe weren't as fleet of foot and would bring them up high and really cause some mismatches down low as compared to really going for a more zone system. And just those types of observations where we talked about it at length throughout the season of the, the defensive system is not conducive to uh, to these guys actually thriving. And I think all that just goes to show that from a tactical perspective, he wasn't he wasn't able to make the adjustments to his entire system for his team. I think he was very rigid with his systems that he had and wanted to make those systems work. And then also misunderstanding how to utilize his players. Yeah, I think that that's really the key, that last part about player utilization. And I, I lump that into player evaluation, which is yes. that you have to understand what your players can and can't do, and you have to understand where that then puts them in the hierarchy and what situations that they slot into. And for Dallas Akins, he he just had this kind of almost idealistic view of, of Derek Grant and Nick Delore and those players you mentioned as, hey, those are quote-unquote defensive guys, therefore they're going to play in those defensive situations. They're going to get those tough matchups where it's like, just because they're, I guess, typecast in that role, it doesn't mean that they can actually do it well. You need to look beyond just how does this guy kind of, what what bucket does he fall into? And I feel like he was very much a victim of his own thought process there. And and conversely with the forward, you know, with the higher skilled forwards, it was, oh, that's a higher skilled forward not going to start in the D zone ever, not going to get certain situations, not going to play late in periods because we have these quote unquote defensive guys who are going to shut it down. Where in reality, the only thing they were shutting down was their team's chance of winning. Yep. So yep. Uh, yeah, that, and, and I mean, that problem was, was pretty, I mean, it was pretty endemic within the ducks organization for a few years where so many misses, uh, you know, on the trade block, so many bad free agent signings and, Maybe Akins was trying to please someone. Maybe he was just trying to play guys that he was being pressured to play. We don't know. And that was kind of the counter argument to his struggles before Verbeek came along. So, okay, you remove Murray from the equation. And it was still same old Dallas Akins. Like, that to me is what really broke it for me. Is I still at least acknowledge the argument before this season that, hey, Dallas Akins hasn't really shown anything so far. But we we kind of know that he was working for this tyrannical GM. So maybe without that, he'll be able to kind of spread his wings and we'll see a different Dallas Higgins. The Dallas Higgins that we thought of, so, so we thought so highly of coming out of San Diego. And instead, we it saw, was the same thing. It was, it the was exact maybe same even thing. worse. Yeah, arguably worse. And maybe it's just because those three years built up these habits. We don't know. But 
I guess that really brings the conversation to me of this season because the the prevailing narrative around this season is that Dallas Aikens, and by prevailing, I mean like the biggest voices nationally, like whether it's in Canada or here, are saying, well, Dallas Aikens was set up to fail this season. This roster was never going to be good, which, I mean, when a team finishes last, like that's not the worst statement. But what do you say to that, that Dallas Aikens just had no shot at, at success this season, that this was, so, a, this was not a good, this was the, the, the woe is Dallas narrative, basically. So, I have a few kind of thoughts on this. I, I think so. First off, really quickly, I want to give a massive shout out to that guy, Bobski. So, uh, gave us 35 different community subs. So, shout out to him for oh, doing wow. that. That was uh, done because he made a bet in the Coyotes game over the weekend when the Ducks took the lead. If the Coyotes tied up the game, that he would gift us a certain amount of subs. So, thank you so much to, to Bobo for living up to that from Discord. So, um, to get back to your point, your question about how do I respond to that, I, I think that first off, sure, you could maybe look at this team and say, well, maybe there were people that were overly optimistic. But to say that this was a team that was set up to be uh, a tanking team is just false. Like, that's just not the correct statement. And I think if you look at the team at the end of the season, sure, you can look at the defense prior to Jackson Lacombe and Drew Hellison coming in where you have these exciting young players and you have Simon Penwas, Scott Harrington, Colton White, uh, yeah. all uh, all on the blue line, Nathan Beaulieu, all these guys on the blue line were, sure, you could look at that and say, okay, sure, he, he was set up for failure with that. But you look at the team for most of this season, you look at the signings that were made in the offseason, you look, look at, the, at things, the opening night roster. Look at the, what Pat Verbeek tried to do and, I mean, wasn't fully able to with getting a Nino Niederreiter, getting an Evan Rodriguez. Like, these were two things that were, were reported on by some of these national media guys as guys that they were going after. And you look at this roster and, Every single projection model had this team as not being horrible, being in the 80-point range. And for this team to grossly under 20 points, like 20 points below that, that is not just a standard deviation in the and, model. And without awful goaltending. Yeah, like that is, yeah, the goaltending actually was not horrible this season. No. Um, and, and so I think all of that to be said is that this was not Dallas Akins being set up for failure. This was him causing the failure. <laughs> and I think that that is a very big difference between the two things that are there. And um, and so, I mean, they, they brought on John Klingberg. And you could say, well, he's not great defensively. Sure. But John Klingberg, throughout his career, has been a positive player. And so what happened there? Dallas Akins probably misused him, put him in the wrong situations. Uh, Dmitry Kulikov, we talked about, was a solid enough player. Came in and really fell off a cliff. And I think when you really put that with the guys that have left and really thrived, it really paints this picture of what's been happening with this team and guys really underperforming when they are with with the Ducks and with uh, Dallas Aiken specifically. And, and so I think from that perspective of, I think that's just a false statement that this was a team set, set up to tank. This was not a team like the Chicago Blackhawks going out and getting Jack Johnson. This was not a team like the Arizona Coyotes trading for Zach Cassian to take on a bad money yeah. deal. Like, they they traded for guys, and sure, maybe you could say the Kulikov trade was a uh, a bad money deal because they didn't have to give up anything to give get him, but that's a one-year deal of a player that I think had solid enough defensive metrics. They didn't get paid to take him. Um, and, and so I think, so that's one part. And I think, let's say you disagree with that. Let's say for whatever reason you say, this was a team that was still going to be bad. They were always going to be bad. That That's what this team was. Even if you say that, though, then what about the prior seasons when this team was bad? Yeah. What about the fact that Dallas Akins has been here? This is his fourth season. 
What about the COVID season where well, just, at, just just to quickly jump in? Sorry, like, go ahead. I, I heard I heard Jeff Merrick say today. Oh well, you know, look look at everything they were dealing with the season. You know, in the wake of losing Ryan Getzlaff, and I thought to myself, how did they do? How did Aikens do when Getzlaff was here? Which they were still awful. So that's just to your point. Continue. Yep. Yep. And, and also you had Hampus Lindholm still here. You had Josh Manson. You had Ricardo Cal. You had all those guys still there that people are now saying that the rug was taken out from underneath uh, right. Dallas Aikens because the, all those guys were traded. And he had three seasons, almost full, three full seasons with all of those guys. And yeah. it amounted to nothing. And I think that that just goes to show that he was not the right man for the job. And I think that I think Pat Verbeek wanted to give him this year. I think maybe there is something to the the idea that Pat Verbeek thought maybe Dallas Akins would put the team in this position. Um, and maybe there's something to that. I don't know if I fully buy that thought process. Um, no, I, but I, just, I, I just think that they wanted to give him a, a chance. Yeah, give him a fair shake. And so I think at the end of it all, though, I mean, the Ducks end up with one of the most influential bad seasons in their history. Yeah. Well, so just, just to circle back though, I think that yeah. what really bothers me about this narrative, the, the narrative surrounding Aikens is that you can, it's almost like no matter what you say, you can never directly address Aikens coaching job because if, if, you know, if he did poorly, it's because of the players. If he did well, it's in spite of the players. And what kind of cracks me up is that less last season, right? had a very good start to the season and mm-hmm. you had Hampus Lindholm on the team. You had Josh Manson, you had Ricard Raquel, and then those guys get shipped out and the ducks, you know, they, they, they basically bought him out, but there's this whole narrative that, well, they bought him out because of that. And it's like the ducks were bad with those guys on the team previously. So you can't sit here and, and say on a podcast in an article on Twitter that the ducks were bad because they shipped out all those guys when they were already bad with those guys previously. Like yeah. this is this is the absolutely maddening aspect of the Aikens discussion is that you can never no one can never no one will just have the balls to say this guy was not a good coach. Everyone has to give him some sort of out. And sure, there are mitigating factors, there are circumstances that I think we all agree made his job more difficult. I mean, I think in 10 years we'll look back and say, "Wow, he was the coach when a pandemic hit." Like that's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah, but the facts are what they are. The Ducks were never a good team with him. They never like, and this is something I talked about in my article. If there's one thing to coach up a team and be more than the sum of your parts, but Dallas Aikens never even coached them up to be at the baseline. Like they were often less than the sum of their parts. And that to me is a really big indictment of the job he did. So great guy, wish him nothing but the best. Like honestly, truly hope that he finds something that's going to be very just stable for him, but just wasn't the guy for the job. And, and now we look ahead to see what, what will happen. Yeah. And I think you look at his, I mean, people want to talk really quickly. I want to add, people want to talk about development. And while sure people will look at Troy Terry, we've talked about this at length, but, but Troy Terry is a guy that really, I think thrived in spite of Dallas Akins because he had great underlying numbers. Oh yeah. That's the other narrative that is just, that is just an absolute thorn in my side, but continue. He had, he had great underlying numbers prior to his breakout season, and he was getting healthy scratch throughout that entire season. And it wasn't yeah. until he started producing and putting up points that Dallas Aikens trusted him more instead of understanding, oh, this is someone who's actually playing well. I should play him more. Maybe he will start scoring as a result. It's almost 
it's misunderstanding results and process. Process leads to results. Results don't lead to process. Yeah. And I think that that is a key element of it. And so um, I, I think that was a miss. I think the the way he, he developed Trevor Zegers was a miss. Because well, um, that's the thing, right, is that there was this big goalpost shifting, right? You, you can throw in the gift that I use often in our Discord of the soccer goal being carried across the field. But there was this big goalpost shifting towards the end of the season where it's like, oh, no, actually... Aikens is being evaluated on the development of the young players. And here's the thing. Okay, let's assume that that is the only way he was being evaluated. Does that actually help his case? Because to what you're saying, Troy Terry, to me, got better in spite of Dallas Aikens. Trevor Zegers arguably got a little worse overall this season if you look at his defensive numbers. Um, like, I, I just, where's the evidence that Dallas Aikens was this big huge positive for the development of players, maybe off the ice. I mean, I, I think that there's certainly a case that helped their mindset, helped, helped them deal with the rigors of, of being in the NHL, but on the ice, like I just don't really see much evidence that any young player actually got better because of his coaching. Like and, even and, Mason, and because and, and, and people are saying, Oh, look at how good Mason McTavish has been this season. I'm like, yeah, Mason McTavish is a good hockey player. Like, I don't yeah. think he's good this season because Dallas Aikens is, you know, playing motivational videos for him in the locker room before the game. And even a guy you look at, Max Comtois, right? Yeah, yeah. And and look at all the other guys that left. I mean, Sam Steele, Josh Mahura. Max Comtois is probably going to be on the outs. Like Josh, sure, Ma- Josh Mahura is a great one to point out, by the way. Maybe those guys were never actually, maybe those guys aren't actually that good, but none of them got better under Aikens. And Max Comtois' career has basically gone sideways ever since the, the, the pandemic season. And, and in part because Aikens just, again, going back to player evaluation, doesn't know how to use them, doesn't know where, where to put them. Yep. Completely uh, agreed. So we've got a few minutes left here before we go into our break. So, we're going to get to the draft because that's the fun part. I think we, yeah. we got to put this one to bed, but let's yep. talk a bit about Pat Verbeek because Pat Verbeek spoke to the media today, which I mean he happens. Did. You can count on one hand how many times that happens a year. Yep. Um, what were your thoughts and just if any, if any thoughts on what he said, because I'll just say this, Pat Verbeek is the king of saying a lot of words without actually saying anything at all. Yeah, I think this more so than other situations was that. I, I think that because um, he didn't really give an answer about when he thinks they'll be competitive. I mean, he 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 ducked and dodged. He was like the Matrix in that, well, in, in that yeah. presser. I mean, the only thing is kind of he said they're going to cast a wide net for the coaching staff. Um, it's like it's like, OK, as opposed to a small net, you know, like, thank I mean, you for that. He had said there were three things that he he wanted to focus on, <laughs> and right? they were all basically synonyms of each other. It was like yeah. new direction, new voice, fresh start. Yeah, but that's fair. At least it gives us some insight to what caused. Does it right? though? Okay, tell me what the difference is between a fresh start and a new direction. No, no, no. no. I would love I, to I, know the difference between those two things because I can tell you right now that there's absolutely zero difference, and that is just drivel. I did not mean that all three of those were different. I just okay. meant at but least he said like three, it, as if they were distinct. Yeah, I, I just meant in totality. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking at the quotes right now to see if there's any. Uh, I think. Uh, well, uh, here, the, the big one you already talked about, but we should we should key back in on it, which is that he was asked about that what we were saying about the the, the development aspect. Yes, and I thought that that was his most intriguing answer because he basically said that he was concerned about development because of how much time the ducks were spending in their zone. And that to me is a fantastic 
way of looking at it because it's like, yes, if we're judging Dallas Aikens off of the development of these guys, how the hell are they going to develop if they're just defending constantly, never touching the puck? And and so th- that was maybe the most insightful, if not the only insightful thing you said. Yeah, that's fair. You are on one tonight. Am I? You you yeah. Hey, Odiflo is chiming in the Twitch chat saying you are taking no prisoners. Am I? This is pretty normal. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I got nothing else to add unless you want to go on more on this before we get to our ad read. Yeah, there was just a brief moment in the press conference, which I yeah. didn't like, which was that he he snipped at Lisa Dillman, who is a fantastic beat reporter. Fantastic person. It was just a very nice person. Just like we've we've been lucky enough to be able to interact with her, and she's just very kind. And she asked Pat Verbeek a question about... Well, self-reflection there was a the first part of that i think was about the draft you know like how do you feel about the draft odds and he basically was like oh i this is supposed to be about akins you know the the press conference so he kind of shut her down and then she comes back and he says okay well you know given basically the question was given the firing of, of dallas have you ha, has this caused you to have any of your own self-reflection or, or what have you and he basically scoffed at the question he was like oh no like of course not blah blah like Maybe I will. And it was just, I don't have the exact quote, but I, I recommend people go look at the video because there's just some things you can't really communicate verbally when they happen non-verbally. But he basically just was very, like he just sounded very upset about the question even being asked. And he can whine all he wants that that uh, press conference was supposed to be about Dallas Higgins, which apparently it wasn't anyway. There was no restrictions in the questions that could be asked. And he can scoff at that all he wants, but you're the face of the franchise. You're the GM. And all you have to say there is, yeah, we all need to be better. I think Steve Eiserman actually said something exactly yep. to that effect. So, you know, you brought it up to me earlier, and, and I'm sure that let's say that the Aikens thing happened last night or this morning, or, or it's a stressful thing to fire someone. And I'm totally sympathetic to that, but you're the leader. Like, you've got to. I just, I don't know. I didn't like that. And I think if Bob Murray had done something like that, we'd be all over it. And I, I want to hold Pavar Beek to, to that similar standard. Yeah, no, that that's completely fair. And I think that that's spot on in terms of if this happened with Bob Murray, we would definitely um, do that. And yeah, so the he pretty much said Punish Mallard has more to the quote. I haven't really thought of that. I haven't had the time to do self-evaluation. When there's more pressing, more pressing things going, but it was more so the way that he he responded to that. Yeah, the the it was Tony took the the Tony took with Lisa and said, "I haven't thought about that." Lisa and kind of said in a very demeaning way. So yeah, he kind of he kind of punctuated like Lisa. It's like, come on, dude. Like, yeah, you know, she's she's doing a job. It's a very it's honestly kind of a softball question. Like, you don't really have to say anything there. I mean, it's not like he's saying anything to any other question anyway. So didn't like that, but. Overall, it doesn't really matter. I mean, that's not what Paverbeek is going to be judged on, but he is a really, front-facing employee. Really quick before we get to um, before we get to our ad read, we're probably going to get questions about this in terms of um, who's going to be the next coach. There's a whole lot of names out there, um, and we don't really have a good idea as of yet. But one name that's been thrown out, and I just want to briefly bring this up before we get to this ad read. And I would absolutely despise this, but someone was on Ducks Calls this week. One Mike oh, Babcock. Babs. Was on Duck Calls Bab this sucks. week. And I I just want to at least say this. 
I think the idea of bringing in Mike Babcock, who was hired, who was fired from his last job as a result or last NHL job as a result of verbal abuse for players, mentally messing with players, everything like that. Um, after you just had to fire a GM for similar things, <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a very, very poor look, regardless of what type of coach he is, but regardless of what he would do, the optics of that would be very, very poor. So I, I personally would be very uh, disappointed if that happened. And on that note, we will uh, now go to you gonna, a you word. You're going to talk about balls? We will right now. Spring has sprung. And our friends at Manscaped have the best tools for sp- some spring cleaning. They've already helped you tidy up all the nooks and crannies of your body's basement. But this year, Manscaped can help you get the perfect presentation on the be- that beautiful face with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Make sure you look your best this spring by using the code CTP to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. It's time to tame your mane with the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. The sun is peeking back out, which means you'll have to show your face in the daylight again. So use the kit to make sure your scruff looks award-winning, whether you got glorious beard flow or some smooth, sleek cheeks. And it is great. I am going to use this after this podcast because as we tuned in, I realized my beard was much longer than I want to be. I am taking it down with the beard with their uh, Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Uh, so the kit starts off with the Beard Hedger, a waterproof cordless trimmer with a rotary wheel, wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of add-ons. It's fantastic. I have so many different trimmers I've had in the past with all these different additional add-ons. This is one guard. It's great. And it also comes with titanium-coated T-blades that are tough on hair but smooth on your face, sing, uh, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. And the Beard Hedger is a high-tech piece of art in a travel-sized bag with a long-lasting battery, universal charging, and a strong motor. Uh, that's definitely hockey equivalent there, having a strong motor. Next, the kit has the liquid goods to make you feel good. Starting with the beard shampoo and conditioner, uh, you can't treat your beard like you treat your pubes. That's why the kit has a special shampoo and conditioner specially designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, and replenish your beard's natural oils and promote beard health. The Pro Kit also has Manscaped's Beard Oil. The nutrient-infused oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath while still adding a little shimmer and shine to liven up the look. And you can cap it off with the Beard Balm, a pomade that shapes, styles, and moisturizes bringing that amazing scent of fresh eucalyptus, rosemary, and lavender essential oils. And not to mention the Beard Hedger Pro Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So you can save 20% off and free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. Focus on the face and use the Beard Hedger Pro Kit for the cleanest look in the game. Okay. Well, I feel like that was one of my best performances right there. Wow, maybe it's uh, maybe no, it's no. The, maybe it's the cut water. It's not a cut water. This is a homemade one. Oh, you said cut water before we started. No, I said it's a ranch water. Oh, ranch water. That's it's right. It's a ranch water. Oh, okay. Ranch water is a type of drink. Okay. Well, I misunderstood. Yeah. Um, no, no slip ups there, though. I'm proud of that one. Yeah. Well, maybe you should. Maybe you should be buzzed on every podcast. By the wow. way. Do, should I tell people that I bait and switched you on this? You definitely did. We agreed I, that this was going to be a drinking pod. Yeah. Well, I actually, so I, I thought, you know, this is a very important topic. I kind of want to give this like my, my absolute attention. Like, cause sometimes I don't know about you, but when I drink a bit, like 
I'm not as sharp with my words. Like I say things maybe I wouldn't say. So Pe- people enjoy that, and these are important episodes. And we're, cel- for- we're we're celebrating a new a new way this uh new way for this Ducks team. For 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 this podcast in particular, I thought I, I I'm better off, you know, drinking my delicious Kirkland. Not a sponsor, but hey, oh my god, if they sponsored us, uh, not a not a sponsor, Kirkland sparkling water, and, and I, just, I have that just in here also, it. huh? I have that in here also. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Uh, DB Lowry saying, so you're buzzed on every podcast then? No. No, <laughs> that, that is a wild inference from what I just said. McIntosh? <sighs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> so, Aiken's out. We will never speak of him again on this podcast. Just kidding. Probably, probably be, there'll probably be some jokes made yeah. here and there. Um, we look ahead now, though. The Ducks lost last night, and what a what a banger it was because going into the night columbus lost and so that would mean that the ducks if they had lost in regulation columbus to LA, won columbus won sorry lost in the in the bedard sense yeah. of yeah. the word yeah but columbus won the ducks then needed a regulation loss to guarantee themselves the best odds but then chicago got a point so then the ducks didn't even need to lose in regulation they could have gone to overtime regardless the ducks got the job done they were their usual awful 2022-2023 Ducks selves. Awful in the defensive zone. Got a, got some goals in the board. Made fans sweat it out. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part of that game, Jake, was the fact that it's just, again, they're they're just doing their job, but the broadcast just still analyzing this game like it meant anything and not even mentioning once like the fact that the Ducks absolutely need to lose this game and then, in fact, like they're they're one loss away from potentially Connor Bedard. They didn't mention that once. Like I, that- I very much appreciated. I was watching the the Blue Jackets game yesterday. I was watching the Blue Jackets broadcast, and were they, they were talking s- about it. They specifically mentioned, yeah, that that the, the, while part, while it's- while it's great that they tied this, this is not great for them in the thing. And actually, on the Columbus broadcast, um, they mentioned during overtime. <laughs> the the little caveat in the rules where if you pull your goaltender in overtime and get scored on, you forfeit the point. <laughs> well, well, so that's the thing, right? I feel like this is a matter of opinion, but I feel like the, the Bedard sweepstakes is part of the story at that point. It's game 82. I understand that they're trying to hype up the freeway faceoff. And yeah. we're going to have a live ban for a team, the worst team in NHL history against probably a first round exit. Like we just... We're going to make this a thing. And it's like, why not? Like, if anything, bringing up the Bedard Bowl adds interest. People are going to want to watch it even more because it's like, yeah, there's a, there's actually quite a bit on the line here. Framing it as, oh, you know, the Ducks need two points tonight. The Ducks need to take uh, whoever was in Jonas Corpusello's eyes away. It's like, this is about Connor Bedard. Like, no one is fooled here except maybe, I don't know, like, a uh, 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 Maybe just a part of the fan base that doesn't pay attention to that, but I, 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 I think that, I thought that was a bit sad. But I that's my e- opinion. I think even if you're going to want the team and really present it in a way that they did, which is almost as team employees, they're trying to say they want the teams to win things like that. I think even just a passing mention where, yeah, oh, if the Ducks do end up losing, the, it's almost like a win-win, right? Yes, you you can mention it like this, saying yes, we want them to go out and get these two points. There's a way, like this is a massive game for them. There's a way to do that and. Uh, it's a freeway faceoff. You don't want to see him lose. But if that happens, here's where the Ducks would be. And, and yeah. there's a way to present it with with both sides of it, so that you are you are not just 
if you're really worried about that side of it, that you could present, um, still present the information and inform yeah. the, inform people. This is a matter of opinion, and I agree that if you make it purely about they need to lose, like that's yeah, which that is what the be- Chicago broadcast did actually. That's not the best like pitch, but I think at least mentioning it because it is part of the story, and and like you said, like working it in a way because fans deserve to know. Yeah. Like, that was a huge element of last night's game. And if you were a fan who doesn't pay attention to that, you would just not know. And and, and that, to me, is a little bit of a shame. But, again, I don't represent, I think, the average fan. I care about yeah. minutia way more than most fans do. And, so. and I would say that people listening to this show aren't your average fan. Yeah, they're above average. Well yeah. above average. Yeah, yeah. 100th top, percentile. Top, top 1%. Elite 1C. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking at the ducks down the stretch, right? We, we talked about it for the last, however many weeks of when people were worried about them still winning games, still picking up points. And there was definitely a bit of that over the weekend. Um, you looked at the team and you looked at how they were playing, even when they picked up points on that East coast road trip. Um, they weren't doing it in sustainable fashion. They were doing it in a way where they were playing, like playing poor, getting bailed out. Is this the victory lap time? A slight victory lap, okay. getting bailed out by by great goaltending, and there was a path for them to be bad. And I don't know if we could have expected them to be this bad, where they went o eight o twelve and was it o eleven and two o, down the stretch? O eleven and two. I thought it was o ten and three, but it was o ten and two up until last night, and so it was o eleven and two. Yeah. Um. And, and so they went that bad down the stretch, and well, to me, it's it's just evening out. They were too good for a while, and then they yeah. came back. Yeah, exactly. And so this is the evening out. And, I mean, to be fair, it's not as if Columbus and Chicago were, were tearing it up down the stretch either. They were 2-7-1 and one in their last 10, 2-6-2 for the Blackhawks, 2-6-2 and two in their last 10 for Columbus. Um, and San Jose, 3-6-1. and one. So, I mean, the Ducks were, were just that bad down the stretch, which goes in line with kind of how they played. They started the season, what, with – one regulation win in like 30, 20 or 30 oh my games. God. How many games did that take? I forget now. It, but it anyway, took... let, let's, let's get back to the main thing, which yeah. is that the ducks are guaranteed a top three pick. Yep. The ducks yep. are like, let me repeat that. The ducks are guaranteed a top three pick and have the highest odds at Connor Bedard. If yes. you told, if you told someone that two months ago, that that would happen or that, that, you know, if, if you told someone that, that that's what you thought would happen, you would have been shot down by a lot of people. People were very upset with how the Ducks were playing, winning games, and understandably so. But we kept preaching patience. We kept saying, look, this team is awful. They're going to find a way to lose. And guess yeah. what? John Gibson, was, John, we Gibson right. was, John Gibson was not going to remain uh, that great. He was going to fall off a cliff at some point. Not fall off a cliff, but not be the, this insane one. Uh, like, Hardcore Lucha were saying 20 games before a regulation win was what like, it was. Like, honestly... To all the people who doubted, who were screaming at us, who shat on us, who called us names, how does it feel to be wrong? We stand here today proven correct. <laughs> this is your victory lap. You, you are going way more in us. than I was. You should listen to <laughs> us. You were wrong. Now, be quiet for a few months while we enjoy our victory lap, while we pop champagne while we go swim in a, in a public fountain, maybe get arrested. Who knows? We're going on an epic victory lap because, man, we dealt with a lot of shit. So here's a shit sandwich back in return. Anyway, that one was yeah. for the haters. 
Yeah, there you go. After we early in the season, we're very wrong about this team. So <laughs> I mean, just, we were just, totally just, wrong about just, this just, team. Just to add that, but we pivoted. We pivoted. We said they were bad enough that they would that they would end up doing it, and they did. Yeah. So uh, draft second. watch party if the Ducks get first. What is that on a Friday? It would be tough to do, but maybe I could swing something and figure it out. We'll see. Um, we'll we'll see what ends up happening there. Um, but yeah, the the Ducks end up with the best overall odds at, at, at Connor Bedard. They are, like you said, locked into a top three pick. Like this is, this is exactly what you want. And I think that there are going to be people out there if the Ducks end up not getting Connor Bedard, wondering if it was better that they fell and that they weren't in that position and that they were second, third, and no matter what, You're I, not I guaranteed th- anything here. And I think that that three. I think at the end of the day, when you're dealing with a lottery, you want the best odds. Not only that, that like, that's an important part. We we've seen it. Some people will say they're worried because the last two uh, teams have been the worst teams in the league that won the lottery. And so the likelihood of that happening a third time is probably low, but there are independent events that doesn't impact it. There's no actual change in that. And you look at what's happened the last two years. And I think that, that is when they change the odds, right? It used to be a lot lower in terms of the percentage um, that a, a, the worst team in the league would get first overall. And it was when there was a three-team lottery and everything like that. They've changed it now. And I think that because of that change, that there's you can only go up 10 spots, all the different type of stuff, that it puts the Ducks in a position to be in a good spot. And that's why team the, the worst team in the league has won it two years in a row. And so even if the Ducks don't win, and, and like Poker Pucks brings they up... They probably won't. There's a 55% chance that they end up in the third spot. Like They are likelier to not get the first pick, the first overall pick, than, than to actually get it. Like that is just That is just the reality. They're probably but not going to get it. That is the big deal. That is the, the big point about getting this spot, is that you have the best odds at it, and you're guaranteed, at worst, third overall. And that's so, the thing, because in previous years... Before they changed these rules, you were it not, would have been fourth. You could have fallen further back, and in this draft, especially if you could drop back to fourth, that's a big difference. Yeah, like staying within this top three. Look, no question. If the Ducks finish first, get the first overall pick, they're drafting Connor Bedard. But after that, like you get to pick one of Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, or Matt Bamichkov. You have that choice. Yep. Whereas, let's say you're fourth. I mean, all of a sudden, you're probably not going to get Carlson and Fantilli, and you've got to draft uh, Michkov, who is a potentially another franchise-altering player. But you're going to have to wait longer. And now there's this there's this chain rule changes in the KHL about making it harder for Russian players yeah. to come over. So it's just like you want that top three, and the Ducks have it. And I mean, let's just go down the list: Connor Bedard. We know who he is. We know what he's all about. He's he's the next Crosby McDavid. He's going to change everything for a franchise. But let's, I mean, let's look at Adam Fantilli. He's one of the best college hockey players ever. Yeah. And as, as a freshman, if they draft him, the ducks are, I mean, still in fantastic shape. Yep. Yep. And then if they end up third, Leo, like, sure, you could make a debate between Leo Carlson and Matt V. Michkov. But I think with the concerns of Michkov and with, with the KHL and everything like that, I think you take Carlson at third, and I think part of that also is, I mean, it, you can't underestimate what Leo Carlson has done in the yeah. in the the Swedish Hockey League this year. Like it has been 
Very, very impressive what he's done this season, and especially down the stretch, how he's really come on. And so I'm going to look it up real quick to see where this draft season ranks in comparison to... He's uh, he's like one of the very best Swedish players ever at, like at his specific age point. Yeah. With his yep. production. He's like, he's like on the Nicholas Backstrom kind of level. Yep. And I think genuinely all three of... I, I think Leo Carlson may be someone that might be might not be in the NHL fully next season. But I think there's a chance he is. Like, I think for sure the benefit of taking a Leo Carlson is that he could be in the AHL next year. Yeah. Like, that. that is a benefit well, for him. Well, Fant- Fantilli could, could also. But then his he can't go back to college, so. Correct. So, yeah. I, I think Fantilli's going to be in the NHL next year. I think that's where he's at. I, I think, obviously, Connor Bedard will. I think Leo Carlson's a bit more of a conversation, but I think he would get some NHL games next season. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like, here's the thing with all of this is that we have these baked in assumptions of, oh, you know, Carlson may go back, Fantility, blah, blah, college. Once these guys are on NHL ice in practices in training camp next to this Ducks team, we'll see what the roster looks like. They're going to look fantastic in comparison to a lot of players. And I have a hard time believing that once they're in, that they're going to go back uh, personally. Yeah. Would you so, how how would you feel if they drafted Michkov? Let's say let's say the Ducks end up third and Fantilli's off the board. I think I'd be fine with it because I think of everything that's come out about Matvey Michkov. I think the concern with Matvey Michkov is obviously going to be the the timeline for him coming over. I think the um I think the biggest thing is this Ducks team needs to take a step next season. They they, they can't be in the same position next season. I don't I think, think Pavrbeek can really afford another season no, like this. No. And I think especially with hiring a new coach with I mean Troy Terry's going to very closely approach his prime years and start getting out of it honestly. He's in they this need, kind of 2 to 3 year window right now. They need to start really pushing for the playoffs and maybe not make the playoffs next year, but they need to be, be competitive be Buffalo. Next year. Be Buffalo. Yeah. Basically. Be Buffalo, be be in that position where you're kind of in it till the last week of the season. Um, and, and so the concern with Matvey Michkov is Leo Carlson. Sure. He may not be in the NHL next season, but he should be in, in two seasons, right? Uh, I think it's more like three. I said, Leo Carlson. Oh, Leo Carlson. Sorry. I heard me. Yeah. Um, the, the issue with Michkov yeah. is that it would be multiple seasons, three yes. seasons or so. And so you're really pushing that out. And so you're uh, the big thing about finishing last this year is you're going to probably get immediate help. And that's not the case with Michkov. And yeah, so I think and I, that and I, I think that's the concern with taking him at three. And then you add in that there's some conversation about the KHL uh, making some stricter restrictions yeah, we, about transferring to the I don't NHL. even know what that means, though. Like, yeah. Is the KHL, like, the Russian government? Like, are they going to shut their borders for these guys? Like, I don't know. But and one kind of retort I've heard on the Michkov concern as well, do you think Minnesota regrets drafting Kirill Kaprizov? And of course they don't, but just a different situation. Like, they also was it Kaprizov was in the second round. Yeah, like the stakes like, are just not as not high a, when yeah, you're drafting it's not the a same. guy with your with especially like after all this everything that's happened this year. Like, I don't want to say that I'm almost completely out on drafting Michkov, but it's like that would just be really it's just a hard sell. I I, I just don't know if you can do it now. If Michkov comes over in three years and is like. Oh, Kaprizov was a fifth round pick, not even a second. Sorry, if, I was off Mi- there. If Michkov comes over and is like Nikita Kucherov in a few years, 
yeah, you're probably going to kick yourself a little bit, but I don't know. I think the Ducks yeah. have to be better sooner rather than later. So just as an FYI, from a points per game perspective, the only players that have been better in their draft season in the Swedish Hockey League um, are, I guess, William Eklund was better from a, a points perspective, in a, or points per game perspective, but the Sedin twins and Elias Lindholm and William Eklund. That's it. Yeah, so that's pretty good. I mean, those yeah. are all really good players. I mean, Eklund, we haven't really fully seen him yet, but he's looked great in the NHL. So it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. You're you're adding basically a, a bona fide top six player. Yep. Yep. Top six exactly. Forward. Exactly. Wow. We I think we covered everything in fifty three minutes. Um, do you want to briefly talk about while we're talking about the future? Jackson Lacombe made his debut for the Ducks and, and Drew Ellison. <laughs> talk also about did. the actual games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Lacombe played played on a pairing with uh, Drew Hellison for a bit, played on the power play. We could start on Lacombe. I mean, I think he looks great. Yeah. Uh, really bold take here, but I think he, he looks he just looks ready. He he looks physically ready. We haven't I haven't really seen enough of him to, to really evaluate his decision making, because I think decision making is something that you need a bigger sample. But just physically and the skills, he looks he looks like an NHLer. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at, granted, small sample size, 33, 33 minutes, 51% expected goals, 4 percentage. Yeah. And, and on the weird thing team. is, yeah, 37% Corsi 4, but that goes to show the chances generated were high uh, while he was on the ice. And so there were a couple of shifts specifically last night that really caught my eye where they had him and Drew Hellison out there a couple times. I think it was right after a power play or penalty kill. So it was kind of middle of the, the situation. But there were a couple shifts where, where Jackson Lacombe really looked so comfortable in the offensive zone um, yeah. and, and jumped into the play. They were moving the puck, walked the blue line, and just skated down below the goal line from the blue line with the puck on a stick in the NHL, like going against a very good defensive Kings team doing that. Yeah, he. And, I, hate, I hate to say it but because we make fun of this so much, but he looked confident with the puck yeah. on a stick. Yeah, but uh, like, and, and I think that that just shows, I think he looks NHL ready, and I think one thing I really want to make sure about I point out with this is some people will talk about next year's ducks team and I'll bring up that. I think they should really go young with their blue line and they could go very young. If they want the the pushback would be that you, they're not going to have that many rookies. Paverbeek won't want that, but it's not as if Jackson Lacombe is a 19, 20 year old rookie. No, like this is a guy that has played four years of college hockey against men has, has been, through the world juniors, like he is the same age as Trevor Zegers. He is older than Jamie Dreisel. Drew Hellison's the same thing. Like, even though both of those guys technically would be NHL rookies next year, there is a difference between them being rookies. Yes. And Pavel Minchukov and Noah Warren and uh, an Olin Zellweger. I mean, no shot Warren is in the NHL, but yeah. No, I know. I'm just more so bringing it up uh, of there's a difference between these he's guys. He's seasoned. I mean, he, he's way yeah. more seasoned. He's going to be 20, 23 years old halfway through next season. Like this is a very <laughs> different conversation. And so yeah. I, I don't think you necessarily put those on the same plate. And so I think that from the perspective of next year, I'm very curious if they just are locked in next year. And if Kevin Chattenkirk comes back because supposedly there's interest on both sides and the Ducks are, are locked in with their six defensemen of Fowler, Drysdale, Lacombe, Hellison, Shattenkirk on the right side, and then you have one of Zellweger and Minchukov. Yeah, I mean... And then Benoit's the seventh defenseman. 
I, man, Simon Benoit should. I don't know if he should be in the NHL at this point. No, fair. He was so he was one of the Agreed. reasons they were so bad this year. Agreed. Maybe he. I mean, hey, maybe he'll look better with a new coach. Yeah, there's but, always that possibility. But my point is, sure, people will look at that and say that's too many rookies. But you really only have one like true what's well, considered a young rookie now. And also, let me ask you this: like, did 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 Drew Hellison and Jackson Lacombe look like rookies in, in their limited no. action? Like, they didn't. They looked they looked ready. And so, we haven't talked about Hellison, but Hellison looked really good. Yeah, exactly. And so if that's their blue line, I think that there's going to be, again, this prevailing thought, this narrative that, oh, this is another development year. But I think that that blue line is a massive upgrade over what they had this season. Especially to end the season. And also, like, the X factor in all of this. And I think I think Connor brought it up in our chat earlier. But, like, Jamie Drysdale coming back. Yeah. I don't think his absence this year, I don't, I don't think he's the reason that they're going to be picking top three, his absence. But him coming back is going to be a shot in the arm for this team. They they missed him quite a bit. They missed his his ability to transition the puck. And so him next to Fowler should be presumably a fantastic pairing. And Hellison Lacombe, you can you can play around with that. And if Zellweger is as good as we think he is in a third pairing role with Shattenkirk, like that could be a very functional blue line. Yeah. And and let's just say for whatever reason, I don't Powell... think it'll be that though. No. I, for whatever reason, Pavel Minchukov also makes the team. Like, maybe you try Jackson Lacombe on the right side, and maybe Shattenkirk becomes a seventh defenseman. Like, yeah. it, if that is what you go with, and you go with the true, like, that to me is the true youth movement of Shattenkirk, seventh defenseman, or just not signing him. And then you have Zellweger and Minchukov, and Lacombe ends up playing his offside, and you have Hellison, Lacombe, Fowler, and Drysdale. Yeah. And so everyone's 24 and under outside of foul. I don't I don't see that happening. I don't I don't that's why I think I, I think Shattenkirk gets signed specifically. I think for one of Lacombe or Hellison are, are in are in the AHL. Oh I think both are in the NHL. I mean I hope so because I just don't think those guys have anything really to learn in the no. AHL. Agreed. I'm starting to be kind of out on the AHL as a development league. It's not a development league. But that's the thing though is that I think it's framed as a development league but I don't actually think that AHL coaches really care about developing players. Yeah, there was actually oh, what was the podcast that was talking about this? There was a podcast recently that I was listening to that was talking about. It was a uh, Yeah, it was Sean Shapiro and Dimitri Filipovich on, on the PDO cast were talking about this. Uh-huh. And specifically how the AHL is such a weird league where it's not it's framed as a development league, but it's also not framed as a development. It's also not a development league because there are some teams that aren't owned by their NHL teams. And there's also the, the from the perspective of you want your teams to still win. And, and yeah, and, and what AHL coach that is trying to earn themselves another job is going to focus on that over trying to win games. Yeah. You basically need, you need the parent club to, because do all not all teams own the, the vast the, the vast majority do, and that's oh, okay, been a okay. that's been a big change. But for instance, Syracuse is owned by a specific person, not Tampa Bay. It's a yeah, it's an affiliation. But when the yeah. the Ducks bought the Norfolk Admirals and moved them to San Diego when they became the Goals, yeah, I think ultimately teams that quote unquote develop well mostly also just draft well. Yeah. So. Well, and there was a big article put out, I think, I can't remember where it was, about the AHL not being a development league. That guys that typically play in the a- AHL yeah. aren't actually going to become these top-end players in the NHL. That's why, that like, if it, you look it's at... It's not where guys develop. 
if you look at Shea Theodore and Brandon Montour to take it all the way back, those guys were great in the AHL, but they probably just shouldn't have been in the AHL. Yeah. So. Yep, exactly. All right. So want to start getting into uh, questions? Yes. All right. So we're going to start with our Discord. Uh, for those of you that don't know, whether you're you're new to our twi- uh, Twitch stream, we have 60 people here, so thank you so much. New to our Twitch stream, new to our YouTube uh, stream, we have our Patreon Discord, patreon.com slash crash the pond, uh, where you can join at the dollar tier, and with that, you get an amazing community. Like, I, I, We'll probably Top heap, tier. Pra- heap praise on people at the end, but or heap praise on the Discord at the end, but it is truly one of the best places you can talk hockey, and with that, we have a podcast questions uh, channel where you can just throw in questions as they come to you, and we will start with those to really honor the people that really support us and go out of their way for that. Uh, so Shaken Wing said, Jake, if you could change one Ducks trade or non-trade in the last three years, what would it be? Oh. And Felix, same question, but for Montreal. Oh, man. Okay, Ooh. well, you go. Man, that's hard. Ducks trade or non-trade in the last three years – what would it be? I'll go with not trading Hampus Lindholm prior to last season. Yes. Or any, I, I mean, take your pick. Any of those, any yeah. of those guys really. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's Raquel, I think Raquel actually waiting until then worked out well because he had a really good season last year, but whether it was Manson, whether it was Lindholm, I think that, um, I think that would probably be my biggest regret or one thing I would change is move them then. So you get a bigger return. Because at the end of the day, while moving him was correct, the correct because you weren't or correct decision because you weren't going to sign to that deal, getting a an additional first round pick that became Nathan Gaucher and uh, Erho Vakanainen. Yeah, you might look back at that and say, "Well, that sucks," and they could have gotten more. So I I looked up the Canadians' trade history. Yeah, and I, I don't know why, but it accidentally started me on like the very beginning. I'll read you the first two trades in Canadians history. Oh, boy. At least on this website. November 28th, 1918. The Canadians acquire cash. It just says cash. Oh, good. And the Ottawa Senators... Huge asset. The the Ottawa Senators acquire Tommy Smith. Now, the second one, I think, is a little more fun. Uh, December 21st, 1919. The Quebec Bulldogs acquire Ed Carpenter, and the Montreal Canadiens acquire Goldie Prodgers, who they what then a traded. What the a follow- name! They followed. They, they traded Goldie Prodgers the next season for Harry Cameron. So, you know you, what? I would, I would go back and change that. That needs to be changed. Okay. This, I mean, no. the prompt, the prompt was the last three years, but sure. Oh, last three years. I sure. Mean, my sure. cop out answer is I would not have traded PK Subban. That is my cop-out answer. Once again, last three years. <sighs> last three years. You know, call me call me uh, stubborn, but I still would not have done the Kirby Doc trade. I wow. still would have kept the 13th overall pick. Okay. Okay. Uh, ANA Ducks 14 said, will the Ducks let Bedard pick his number next year? Knocks on wood. Well... 98 is kind of like a number that those tra- those trainers would give him anyway. Yeah. So what has he worn 98 always? I saw a picture of him and McTavish and he was wearing like 16. Was it from the World Juniors? Maybe. Cuz he's worn 16 at the World Juniors. So, will Strom give up 16? <sighs> yeah. No. Well, here's the thing. He might switch to 45, you never know. But uh Bedard 45 is a great number. Is it? Sammy Votnin, great number. 
I think half the country would definitely agree with you on that. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> Didn't even think about that. <laughs> wow. You just walked right into that I one. did. Wow. Um, but, yeah, I, I would actually be very curious what they do with Bedard's number. Like, does he have an exceptional status because he's Connor Bedard? Because they don't let rookies pick their numbers. So Yeah. I, I think Bedard's an exception. What does Mason McTavish change his number to? Uh, 23, right? I think it's 23 that he was wearing in junior. Yeah. Cause he's thir- there's no way he stays at 37. He was 23 at the World Juniors. He was 32 for Canada at the Olympics, which I forgot that. Yeah, happened. we're we're getting told 23 in, in the Twitch chat. Yeah, so we'll go I, with so that. I was right. I was right. Yeah. Uh, Ducks on five said, how might the top six sh- shake out or – uh shake out with each of top six shake with each of the top three sorry ducks and five i'm not sure i understand unless you can make anything of this how might the 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 top six shake with each of the top three so i think what that question means is how will the top six look with bedard mctavish and zegris oh got it got it got it okay i think that one of them moves to the wing like that's what probably happens i think what should happen is they all play center but I think one of them probably moves to the wing. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was Connor Bedard. Just because, like, dumb NHL. Youngest youngest player yeah. type deal. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. That Shane guy said, rumors have been that the Ducks will move Gibson in the offseason. If the Ducks land Bedard in the draft, do the Ducks hold on to him for one more season because it would be closer to playoff contention? I mean, that's the effect of Bedard, is that he makes you reconsider a lot of things. Yeah. And I don't know. It's a great question. I think you, I, I think you maybe punt on the Gibson issue. I honestly. think you see how I think he had a decent. I here's my my thing with Gibson, and I think these are the conversations that him and Pat Verbeek need to have. Is how much of this season and how much of the last couple of years boils down to Pat Verbeek playing a system that has not been conducive to John Gibson's style. Hmm. And if they get a coach in that more so works towards what he is and how he plays, if that is something that would be better long-term. Yeah. I mean, he finished the season with a minus 2.3 GSAX, which for him is like not bad. Yeah. Like especially considering how bad this team was. I don't know. I'm inclined to trade him. To trading him because I think you have Dostal. Yep. You can, you can go out and get a backup. You can just re-sign Anthony Stolarz. I think the reason you trade Gibson isn't so much because you want to just get rid of him. It's because he might still be able to get you something that can help yep. you maximize having Connor Bedard. I think it really depends. I, I think there's an argument for either side of it. If you do yeah. end up with a Connor, I think Bedard. keeping him isn't like this, you know, critical error. It's just maybe not what I would do. Yep. Malarkey asks, uh, Malarkey777, who's new to the Discord, so thank you so much for, Malarkey. for doing in or chiming in. Who are possible coaching prospects? Any preference between overseas versus North American coaches? Well, so you you brought this up earlier, but we actually do have a little light on that uh, based off of the 32 Thoughts podcast today. Uh, Jeff Merrick show was where it was. Did he, did he also say it on 32 Thoughts? He said it on both, I guess, but he went okay. more in-depth on it on the um well explain more or less uh i'm trying to find my tweet that i put out because that was the you don't remember this guy's name i did yes (laughs) let's i can't mcelvain is his uh last name uh matt mcelvain there it is uh he's he's coaching in austria 
Um, and, and Elliot Friedman had mentioned that kind of Paverbeek went out of his way to hire Roy Sommer, who's the winningest coach in AHL history and was almost a one-year stopgap in the AHL. And yeah. with the, the intent of he's had interest in this Matt McIlvain guy who's... Matt McIlvain like, is 37. Yeah, he's 37 he's years old. Very co- young. Coaching in Austria and wants to bring him in to coach the AHL. And he, he believes that McIlvain... Could be, I mean, he believes in him and thinks he could be an NHL coach long-term. Uh, Michael B. in our YouTube chat saying, coach of the Red Bull Salzburg team. Yeah, um, that's like the top and, club in Austria. And could potentially be the Ducks coach long-term. Um, yeah, he's he's been, the, the crazy thing is he's he's a, he's only 37, but he's been coaching in pro hockey since 13, 2013, 2014. Wow. Starting as an assistant coach. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's been around. Yeah. Um, See, that is exactly the kind of coach, the, the kind of archetype I would like for, for them to go out and get. Like someone that's just totally off script. Um, Do you think that he jumps the line and jumps the AHL and goes straight to the NHL? I mean, what's the point of having him coach in the AHL? Like, honestly, if, what if, is if the you, point? If you, if you truly believe in him? Yeah. Like, what, like what's gonna, what, what is that going to change? I don't think it changes anything personally. I think if you believe in the coach, like hockey is hockey. Yes. NHL hockey is completely, you know, it's faster. It's more difficult, but if you trust the mind of the guy, he doesn't have to go out there and skate. He's just got to go out. He's got to have a a game plan. He's got to have an ability to communicate. He's got to have player evaluation. I don't think those things are going to just do change because he coached in the AHL. Do you buy into this? That beat all saying may maybe get him used to North American players as compared to, uh, Guys playing in Austria. I just don't think it matters. The guy played, he played in North America. Like he was, he played, you know, college hockey. He played some, some in the AHL afterwards. Like I just, I don't buy that. Like he has to go down to the AHL to learn how to coach North American hockey. Like would it hurt? No, probably not. But I'm just saying that if you really truly believe in the guy, I just, I think you just got to get on with it personally. So, I mean, I think that's, that's someone to necessarily keep an eye or to somewhat keep an eye on. I think more likely than not, he's going to be the goals coach next year, though. I don't think that they'll make that that's big fine. of a jump. It's not like, like I, like I was saying, it's not like this thing I'm totally against. I just, part of me is like, I just want to see it. I no, see and, this guy I, can do. and I just wanted to essentially make that through line of, well, because Elliot Freeman mentioned this on there, that he thought maybe the Ducks would bring back Dallas Aikens for another year or two as being the stopgap placeholder. As a, see, as a, I, I don't, I don't like that either, though. Like this is my issue with this model. No, not saying not saying that that's going to happen, but he was saying he thought before they announced they they weren't renewing him that they would. But that is that that does sound like that's what's going to happen is that they're going to hire a stopgap coach. What about what about Bruce Boudreau on a two year deal? Again, here's what I'm here's what I'm trying okay. to say. I don't believe in the stopgap coach because Paverbeek. I don't know why I'm holding a highlighter, but anyway, Paverbeek said on in his in his presser that he wants a new direction a new voice. He wants to set a new culture. These are all things that he said. And you know what? I honestly think that a stopgap coach is like the worst positioned person to do that. Who, why do they care about the long-term culture setting? If they know that they're only going to be there for two years, like what is the point? Like you're not going to get the coach's best performance. Maybe you will, but let's say that they do establish a culture. Then Matt McIlvain comes in in two years and might change all of that. Like it's just, Stop beating around the bush. You believe in the guy, hire him, and just run with it. Start building from day one instead of just kicking the can down the road. I I really just dislike that approach. Could it work? Sure, it could work. It's just not what I would do. 
Okay. Yep. And, and I think that's completely fair. And so we'll we'll see where this ends up going and how it I don't ends. Know why up. I got angry about that? You got very angry, but you know what happened? And impassioned. You, you are the one on rants today, not me. It's shocking. I don't know um, what it is. I'm just yeah. I'm I'm feeling passionate. Yeah. So I mean, the obvious ones are are they'll probably talk to Bruce Bruger. They'll probably probably try to talk to Andrew Burnett. Um, like, hey, by the way, uh, how many games in the AHL did Marty St. Louis coach? Yeah. Yeah, I mean they'll probably talk to to Peter Laviolette, who was just fired. Um, they'll they'll probably talk to all these guys, dude. If they if they bring in one of those guys, it's just yeah, you're wasting um, your time. All right, Lou said, "What a wild ride it's been this season, from winning their first game of the season and lip reading it to them pulling the best draft odds out of their keister." With all that being said, why can't Felix see himself paying for his sandwich? <sighs> <laughs> There's just some. It's gonna be a where, long episode. There's just some things where I'm like, does paying for it substantially increase the quality that I'm going to receive? Yes. That I would have had by making it myself. Yes. And maybe maybe I'm tooting my own my own horn here as a sandwich maker, but I don't think that there's a sandwich in this world that is all that much better than one I could make myself. I mean, that's just wrong. But hence sure. why I wouldn't pay for it. At You're least wrong. not pay what they're charging. Like. 12 13 14 dollars a good for a freak, sandwich for a freaking sandwich a good sandwich is worth that's, it that's that's blasphemy you can make yourself pasta get out of here want. with that get out of here with that you could make yourself a rice bowl it's you just can... it's just silly to pay 15 dollars for a sandwich the price is just going to keep going up every time we, we go back i mean and forth. that's the same thing with everything no yeah, but not... see the thing is a sandwich i can make that so quickly Whereas a rice bowl, making rice takes like 20-something minutes. A s- not if you have microwave rice. Okay, sure. But like, let's assume you don't have microwave rice. Uh, DB Lowry saying, why don't you do the same thing with burgers? No more in and out Again, see, see my like my argument is ironclad and consistent because making, making, bur- a, ma- making, making a burger, a burger takes is- substantially more time than just your average sandwich. You have to make the meat. Making meat takes time if you're doing it right. How much time? So, Like two minutes? You want to let the beef... Two reach, minutes. You want to let the beef reach room temperature. You have to take it out of the fridge, which means you have to let it sit about thirty minutes. Then, what about what about hot sandwiches? What about a chicken? Then parm you sandwich? have to grill it, and now you're backing off because you realize you're wrong. No, I'm not. But what about a chicken parm sandwich? Is this applying to all hot sandwiches? Chicken parm sandwich, like that's not a sandwich that's sold though at your average, you know, mom and pop sandwich shop. Although those don't really exist anymore because the big bad companies like. Jersey Mike's are, are buying them out and kicking them into the street. Um, but yeah, your average sandwich that's sold at a sandwich shop is not going to require the the kind of Disagree. energy that, that you're describing here. Disagree. Uh, with all the breaking... We have just two great uh, questions in a row. Uh, with all the breaking news, this from Hey Flow, and critical recent developments regarding the Ducks position heading into the draft lottery, perhaps the most pressing question that folks are wondering uh, is this. Who's asking this? Hey, Odiflo. Oh, okay, okay. Win a win. When will Felix move on from consuming Starbucks cold brews? Never. Can't stop, won't stop. Had some pizza this morning. It was great. Yeah, I mean, I'm not against other coffee shops, but, I mean, there's pretty much only ever Starbucks around. Um, so I gravitate <laughs> towards them. Although every time lately, every time I go, I'm like, okay, I'm going today, but after I go, I'm going to order finally order a cold brew maker on Amazon. And then I don't do it. Then then I go again the next day because I don't have coffee. Just, just like, go to okay, the market. Just go to the market and buy Camellia and cold brew. 
Yeah, but the thing is, like, buying the canned nitro cold brew is not that much cheaper no, than Starbucks. But I'm not saying the can. I'm saying the big jug of it. There, the chameleon cold brew jug. There's that, there's that option. Yes. Yeah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> Coverde. I'm being, I'm being crapped on for my sandwich takes. <laughs> Coverde Bastard uh, asks us, uh, given the Ducks' position in the upcoming draft, which of the top three young players would synergize the best with Jack Kopaka? Is Jack Opaka like selling real estate now? Like, what is he up to? Legitimately, like, what happened to this is, man? Is he doing that with Nick Cordelas? Is he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the the law firm of Cordelas and Kopaka. Um, the K K and K. Yeah, uh, careful there. But <laughs> yeah, no, he. I think he retired. He didn't. Oh no, he was sorry. He he was well, playing in Europe, right? I, I almost ended Jack Opaka's <laughs> career inadvertently. No, he. He had a fine season playing in the in the B division of Sweden this season. There it is. 27 uh, points in Heyo Deflo said, for funsies, project the forward lines deep pairs and goaltender for opening night. God damn it, no, Mike. Punt. Mike, we're punting on this. We'll do this next. We'll get back we, to you in Discord. We, we've got an entire offseason. Uh, we we reserve the right to punt on certain questions from Discord because we can go back and interact with them at any time. Olaf is berserker. Uh, had this response though to Mike saying, "Bedard, Bedard, Bedard." Second line of Zegers, Zegers, Zegers. Third line McTavish, McTavish, McTavish. Fourth line Gauthier, Gauthier, Gauthier. First D pair Zellweger, Zellweger. Second pair Drysdale, Drysdale. Third pair Minchukov, Minchukov, and Dostal and Net. Um, Mike also said another question, which has become an annual discussion given the stellar play of Dostal this season. Will the Ducks trade John Gibson before the draft? Yes. I'm going to go with no. Yeah, probably not. I'm going with no. I, I was very confident they would, and I've kind of backed off that now. Yeah. Um, Matt asked, the Duck slash goal should have a plethora of young forwards next year. Does Verbeek try and add more players with experience by trading some of the young guys? Would uh, would you do that? Um, I think that is meaning for the Ducks. As in, would you try to trade some of the young play or young players? I mean, at this point, are Braden Tracy and Jacob Perot going to be NHLers? I mean, if you can get something for those guys, sure, go for it. But would you, I, w- would you flip those guys for just a solid kind of middle six piece? I mean, those guys probably I, don't get you that. But it doesn't sound like Verbeek wants to, though, because he mentioned in that that presser today. You know, like that was actually one of the insightful things that he said was he does not think that they should be moving picks and prospects for players yeah. right now. I mean, I'm I don't know. I'm miffed by Verbeek today. I don't have nice things to say about Pat. There it is. After okay. he after he poo pooed our our good friend. Lisa yeah. Dillman. There it is. Uh, final predictions on what the Zegras, Terry, and Drysdale contracts will look like. Uh, Zegras, seven by seven. Okay. Terry, six by seven? Six, six by point? seven and a half. Seven and a half? I think oh he my. gets more because no, you're buying no UFA. No you're buying shot. UFA. You're I'll, buying I'll UFA I'll you a case of Mountain Dew that that doesn't you're, happen. Why Mountain Dew? I mean, I'll take it. Because but. that's what... Have you heard of the show uh, Undisputed with Shannon no. Sharp and Skip Bayless? Oh yeah, they're sponsored by Mountain Dew, so like they just they they're like I, I'm maybe they're contractually obligated, but they only ever bet cases of, of Mountain Dew. I mean, Mountain Dew is great. It's, I haven't it's had it awful. in a long. It's, it's, it's so it's, it's so good. Water. It's so good. Get no. get off your high horse and drink a Mountain Dew. But I'll I'll bet you a case of Mountain Dew. We should just start like ironically betting cases of Mountain Dew. Wait, no why intent. would we do that? Why would we do that ironically? Mountain Dew's great. Anyway, uh, I will bet you anything that he will not he will not cross the seven million dollar threshold. Okay. And what about Drysdale? 
Uh, bridge deal. Two bridge, years. Bridge deal. Two. One years. year. One year or two year. I'll say a year. Give me a one, year. One year. Four mil. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That there's our final predictions. All right. Non-binding. And yeah, now we're gonna get to questions. I there's a lot of my replies, but there was one that came earlier in the week that I want to briefly mention. And my apologies. I can't remember who it was and I'm trying to scroll to figure out who it was to, to give them credit. But they asked me a question about why some guys uh, would be offered two year ELCs versus, Oh, uh, it's, it's an age. It's, it's just the rules. Exactly. And so that I just wanted to briefly mention that it, it's about the rules and how they're structured of depending on your age. It's whether it is what structures, whether it's a three year, two year, one year ELC. Yeah. So, so that's Sim- where it all comes down. Yeah. Where it all comes down to. Um, and so now I think it's going to be time for our Twitch and discord. So anyone or Twitch and YouTube. So for anyone in Twitch and anyone in YouTube, please start throwing questions into the chat. If you want them to get answered, I know there've been some earlier, but if you want to repost them, it makes my life easier. But for those of you listening on your favorite podcast services, we do a live stream of the show and it should be through summer on Mondays. Typically, Keep an eye out on our Twitter feed at twitch.tv slash crash the pond and, um, and youtube.com slash crash the pond. If you are at Twitch and you have Amazon prime, you get one free Twitch prime gaming sub each and every month. It does help more than you can imagine. So if you have that, please, um, send us that subscription. It helps us out. Shoe, uh, Shoe dragon. Georgie gave us that and it's been subscribed for 49 months. And if you're on YouTube, like, and subscribe to the, uh, like the video, subscribe to the channel. We're really trying to build up our subscribers there. It helps out more than you can imagine. Um, I just put out another call for questions on Twitter. Oh God. Just, just, uh, basically how long is this episode going to go? I'm just retweeting your, your link to the, uh, oh. Okay. To the Twitch. Okay. Okay. We'll I'll, we'll see how. I'll I'll what? add a fine print uh, additional tweet saying that the questions have to be asked in Twitch, otherwise we won't answer them. But okay. Yeah. There or Twitch or YouTube. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Fat Geralt said, uh, "Question: Assuming the Ducks draft a center with the top three pick, who do the Ducks have as a good natural winger other than Terry? So let's just say they go all three as centers. Yeah, I mean that's the fin- that's the fantastic question uh, about." kind of next season is like yeah you got to start thinking about building you got to start thinking about how how do we make this thing work but the answer is adam henrique yeah adam henrique is is that dude ryan strom frank vetrano is ryan strom a good winger i think i want to see him under a new coach i mean that's that's all he's got left like that that is his sole argument left because ryan strom was bad this season yeah like just patently bad I think everyone deserves a fair shake under the new coach, though. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm just, I'm feeling vengeful today. But yes, you're correct. There you go. Curtis in our YouTube chat said, uh, uh, what happened to Orange Knight uh, and the reputed brand announcement last night? Uh, what? Or reputed rebrand announcement last night, because there wasn't a rebrand announcement last night, and they didn't wear orange on ice. So, I don't know. We'll see. I, I think all signs are pointing towards this team is probably going to rebrand in the off season. We'll see though. Yeah. Did you see my tweet about my potential lasts for last night's game? What were they? Uh, I'm trying to find it. Damn. I've tweeted a lot in the last, it was like, 24 it was hours. like last Dallas Akins. Oh yeah. Here we go. Uh, last game in these uniforms. Does that happen? Was that their last game in these uniforms? I sure hope so. Please give us you, new. You got to say yes or no. Yes. Last I, game just, with Akins. I'm being hopeful. That yes. one happened. Last game of yes. Derek Grant. 
Oh, please, God. <laughs> Can you imagine if if Paverbeek re-signs him? Oh, I'm please. Uh, you know what? That'll be that'll be the the death knell for my support of Paverbeek if he re-signs Derek Grant. Oh, please. How uh, like how many years have we had to deal with Derek? How Grant much evidence do we need that this dude just is not good? Oh, um. Like, <laughs> all right. We we also had these questions earlier on from the YouTube chat. Uh. USA Hockey 3434 said, who do you guys want if the Ducks get a third overall pick, Carlson or Mitchkov? I think it's Carlson. I think that there's a very strong possibility that Mitchkov will be the better player. Yeah. Like, I almost think that that's just true already. The problem is the problem is everything else. And under the pressure of the bright lights of the, of the major market that is Anaheim, I think you need to give the fans something to chew on next year. And I think Leo Carlson is the pick as a result. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, B Bordy says, does the captain get selected next year to change the culture? Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it goes to everything Paverbeek said, although it might've just all been word salad, but new direction, set a culture, turn the page. Like you got to start somewhere. And I, I think that we're at that point where you, you kind of want to start building something, creating something. And, Troy Terry's like Troy, the man, fresh Troy off Ter- his new I, contract. I feel like Troy Terry's the guy, with his seven by seven point five, according to you. Yeah, you know, gotta man, get, he, gotta, if, gotta pay the captain. Is that a good contract? No, is that a, is that a good Ghost, contract. I, I'd be fine with five. Go five. Um, yeah, not I mean, a real duck. Said uh, question: Would you prefer Pat Verbeek to go with uh, an established uh, coach or pick someone to take a risk like a college or international coach like Richard Gronberg? So I prefer going the the, the risky route because um, I just think that there's a lot of great coaches out there that just haven't gotten to sit on the carousel yet. And that, that doesn't mean anything that about their coaching abilities. It means that the NHL is an old boys club. But I do think that if there's a value to a sure value. And so if Mike Sullivan becomes available, yes, Mike Sullivan's a great coach. Doesn't know that's going to happen. He no, that's not happening. But I'm just saying, like that's the scenario where I think you you take a quote unquote retread. But that's really it. That's kind of my thought process there. Yep. Ray Gonzalez on YouTube said, "Why did the broadcast TV and radio shy away from talking about the draft? Watching the Columbus Blue Jackets broadcast last last night, they talked about uh, more than in one period than I heard the Ducks talk uh, talk about it in uh, in thirty, as in thirty different periods." So Ray may not have been in here when we were discussing that. Probably not. I don't know. I mean, honestly, like, would it have killed them to just like a brief mention? Because that's the thing. I get the argument of like, hey, this is maybe not sending the right message. Like, we don't want to promote losing, blah, blah, blah. I get all that. But I don't know. I think it's just it was a very conscious decision not to mention it, though. I will say that. Yep. Uh, definitely agree. Not a real duck said question. Would you prefer Pat Verbeek to go with an established or well, I already asked that one. Never mind. Sorry. Uh, beat all said question. Verbeek said the ducks weren't in a position, uh, uh, to trade draft picks for help this year. Do you think he flips that switch this summer and spends a pick or two on a guy like Brat or, uh, to pair with the first round pick as in not trading the first round pick, but to pair with it, whether it's like a Connor Bedard. I mean, if we just take what he's saying on its face, like that doesn't really change in a year, right? Like if you're not in a position to trade picks for, for immediate help, like I don't think that a few months changes that reality, 
But I think the reality is just that he didn't want to make this team better because he wanted to get as high as Espe- especially midseason. That was the actual answer. Like his answer, I don't think was the real answer. Because he even talked about it, that he was trying to do things in the off season that would have made yes. it would have been different so, for this team. So I think if we were to put Pat for Beak on Truth Serum, yes, I think that this upcoming summer or next season we do see him make more win now type moves. Yeah. Yep. Uh, sh- uh, let's see. Shoegaze Dragon Georgie said, "Question is Pat Verbeek talked to Peter Laviolette? Sure, hope not. I think he talks him. I don't think he ends up being the coach though. Uh, like, and what's he the also asked. He also asked talking to him. Does Jonathan Taves sign with the Ducks now? If Jonathan Davis is playing next season, it's for the Winnipeg Jets. Wow. His I mean, ho- probably probably not that bold because he's from there, but e- exactly, it's really not that bold at all. Um. <laughs> All right. Uh, to give you credit. Even Wilderwing said, uh, "What are the top three and bottom three Verbeek decisions since he was hired?" I mean, are there even six? Um, uh, let's go. Top three are uh, trading Lindholm, trading Manson, trading Raquel. I mean, I think you could lump those into one. You know, but I'm. He said top three and bottom three, so I'm. I'm making those okay. all three separate decisions. Uh, okay. Bottom three is. Not signing uh, Sonny Milano in the summer. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What was another one? Um, Nathan you could Beaulieu. S- Nathan Beaulieu. You could say Dallas Aikens, but it ended up with them getting potentially Connor Bedard. So, yeah. like, no. I, I low confliction on that one. Um, but let's go with, um, uh, let's say, signing Ryan Strom to that contract. I mean, that's probably his worst decision. Yeah. Because that's just not a contract that'll probably age well. Like, there's there's a case to be made that it's not that bad, but it's it's not, like, a great deal. Oh, not claiming Tolvin in. Boom. You know, I think a lot of people would have put John Klingberg in this category. I still, I still think that was and a fine I, signing. And I would just completely disagree with that. I think that that worked out fine. Yeah. Uh, SJ Hawking saying a Thrun, the Thrun trade was a really good one. Yeah, that's a good one. That was a nice little nice little deal. Yeah. Oh, the Minchukov pick also. Also a top three. Yeah, you uh, you raised this to me in, in text message the other day, but uh, you were saying that Jamie Drysdale was not the right pick. Uh, that, no, all those years my, ago. no, wait, 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 wait. Let's backtrack slightly. <laughs> I think that taking him was still defensible. My point is that in hindsight, hindsight 2020, with how the Ducks defense core has been built out and the system is completely built out now. Yep. Was it a mistake taking Jamie Drysdale over an Alexander Holtz when you look at the bevy of prospects they have on the blue line versus how they are somewhat bare at forward? I mean, there's a case to be made. Yeah. A case that, that I made at the time, the day that, of, in fact. That, that was my point. Not about that the pick was a bad pick or that I don't like Jamie Drysdale. Just simply about the fact of, you could make the argument that in I hindsight it, 2020 with how the defensive group has been built out, I think Jamie Drysdale might not be needed. Based on what we knew at the time, though, it was a lower ceiling pick. The yeah. guys that, that went after him were all, I would say, higher ceiling. Like Holtz, Quinn, Rossi, Perfetti. Yeah. Um, I mean, those... I, would, I mean, I mean let, let's not put Jack Quinn in that. Jack Quinn was a surprise going that high. 
Fair, fair. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe now I'm, I'm suffering from recency bias. You 100 percent are with yeah. Jack Quinn being. But back. let's throw him out. Like Holtz, Rossi, and Perfetti at the time were all players that I would have taken over Jamie Drysdale. And you can go back. We have podcasts, recorded evidence of me saying this. Yeah, um, Crash the Pond podcast, even. Yes, like you don't even have to go back to Anaheim calling. Like, yeah, wow, this thing's been around a long time. Now that I think about it, I think my cat is meowing at me. So yeah, that's fair. Uh, let's see. Uh, DB Lowry, 3507 said, who has the better season that 2023, 24 Anaheim ducks or this year's angels? Uh, I'm not positioned <laughs> to, to answer that. Uh, I'm going to go with probably this year's angels. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'll just go with that. Yeah. Um, okay. all I right. Follow the angels. Uh, let's see. DB Lowry also said, is this the last time hearing a game called by Johnny and Hazy given the uncertainty surrounding Bally sports? No, they're, they're I think that they they're are getting- affiliated with Bally sports, but I think they're actually team employees. And, and I yeah. know that we have, uh, they will be around no matter what happens there. Hard, hardcore luchador in our, uh, is in our Twitch chat and he probably has more insight on that. If he wants to correct me on that, but I believe they're team employees, um, and, and so regardless of where it ends up going, if it is the team and NHL buying the rights, I would imagine that still means that they're going to be calling games. Um, even if it's not no longer on Bally's. Yeah. They'll, um, they'll be kept around. Yeah. Um, let's see. Are there any, other questions? I think that's it. Um, wow. Uh, no, I think we have a couple more. I see one more. Be boardy. Oh, yeah, that's right. That one. Sorry, I missed that one. Uh, do you think the Ducks need more physical and grit on this team uh, or physicality and grit on this team uh, because they got pushed around a lot? I mean, yes and no. Like, I think that they, they need to be more physically imposing. They need to be better just winning puck battles, protecting the puck, uh, getting the puck back. But that's not necessarily like a physicality just going out of your way to, you know, check people or what have you that's just being competitive being in the game and so really to accomplish that though you just need quote better unquote players. competing you just need better players like it's not really about specifically physical players we also we've seen that movie many times of a team prioritizing quote-unquote physical players and it usually doesn't work out like you need to just target players that are good I mean, look at the the Bob Murray era Ducks. Yes, speed, or, physicality, speed, physicality. Yeah, it's like speed, anytime you just speed, in. physicality. <laughs> the the butts. Yeah. I I feel like the butt speed is it was my favorite one of it's, trading Chris Wagner for Jason Chimera and signing Chris Kelly, two guys that I don't know if they were actually fast and doing that as the butt speed. Yeah, Bob Murray straight faster. up. Bob Murray and his and his uh, lackeys just straight up going off of like scouting reports from five years prior, from like 10, 10 years prior. I mean, I think someone made that comment about uh, Ron Hextall in Pittsburgh of like, I think it was in the PDO cast. Like, yeah, they 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 targeted Michael Granlund because they just remembered what they saw from his a game they in, saw in him Minnesota like five years prior, and they're like, oh yeah, we're, we'll get Michael Granlund. Um, yeah, man, man. <laughs> I hope they come out the other side so we can uh, so we can truly uh, laugh about all this. The really the uh, just just the whole like rush to defend Bob Murray and see how good of a GM he was. It's like, man, please do not forget that last stretch because it was just so hilariously comically bad. 
in like a really weird way too because it's not like ron hextall where like everyone agrees that was just terrible it was just death by like a thousand paper cuts where it was just dumb little move after dumb little move nothing ever to get people to come out in like an outcry because at the time like we would criticize bob murray and people would push back like hard it's like oh no you don't get it this trade makes sense and like look where it got them it basically got, it helped get them where they are today yep so i am dealing with a cat that's trying to pull cables out of my uh, computer right now so i will yeah. let you take the wheel it's been a it's been a catty podcast both of sure. us yeah but you want to start wrapping this thing up or anything else uh i do want to mention this nba playoffs start tomorrow go warriors Battle of NorCal, uh, Warriors versus Sacramento Kings. The amount of people that are rooting for the Kings is really distressing. It's just like they're the fun, low-key team, and I don't, I don't like that. It's. I have it's no cool. opinion outside of I guess go Lakers. You would root for the Kings if you knew anything about them because their their mantra or like their their rallying cry is uh, light the beam, and they have this beam in Sacramento, like in one of the buildings that they light up after each win. And it like it projects out into the sky, and I feel like that's something that you would you would hang on to. Okay, am I wrong? I I don't I don't really know if I have an opinion. You you would def you would a hundred percent eat that up if you were an NBA fan. I guess I, once again don't know if I have an opinion. Oh, okay. I want to end on this though. I want to end on this. This is where I want to end. <laughs> uh, predictions, lightning round. Okay. Panthers Bruins. Panther. Uh, <laughs> do, do I do it? Do, do it. I do it? Do I do it? Get that bag, King. Uh, do I do it? Uh, Let him cook. Uh, Let him cook. Uh, Don't be a coward. Pa- Panthers in seven. Okay, there it is. I'm going Bruins in six. Okay. Uh, Tampa Toronto. Uh, Tampa. Or no, sorry, Toronto. Why am I? doing that wow. uh toronto you're really freudian slipping here 100 percent. i, on, I actually was gonna go boston side. but i decided to just go for it why not uh yeah so I'll, I'll do toronto in six yeah i'll go toronto in i'll go toronto in five i'm i'm done with the bolts get get them out of my life um islanders hurricanes hurricanes in four islanders in seven wow f them canes uh Rangers, Devils. Uh, Devils in five. Yeah, I'm going Devils in four. I just, I don't give a damn about the Rangers. Um, don't either. Knights, no matter, Jets. No matter what one Heyo Flow says. Yeah. Uh, Knights, Jets. Knights, Jets. Uh, Golden Knights in five. I feel like the Jets are like a sneaky upset potential here. Potentially. I'll go Jets in six. Okay. Um. This is probably my favorite series of the first round, though. Uh, L.A. Edmonton. Edmonton and six. Same. Seattle, Colorado. Seattle, Colorado. Come on. Uh, Colorado and five. Yep. That's my pick as well. And then truly the the, the highlight of the first round, Minnesota, Dallas. (laughs) Dallas and six. Yeah, I'll go with that, too. Okay. That was fun. Are you excited for the playoffs? I am. I'm always excited once they get started. I think specifically the Tampa Toronto series and New Jersey New York are going to be really really fun. Do I order uh do I order an Edmonton jersey? Why? Do, do I go full in bandwagon for the Oilers? Why? 
I thought that w- that was your your bandwagon team. Uh, I thought I would have a sympathetic audience here. I mean, they're my West Coast or Western Conference bandwagon team, but you would you not would my order, overall one. You would order a Toronto jersey before you do an Edmonton one. I would probably order a Devils Jack Hughes one before I ordered any of those. Okay, boring but fair. I don't know. I just I want to see I want to see the Connor McDavid led Oilers do it. I mean, I'd love to have an Oilers Toronto Cup final. Mm, I'd prefer Devils Oilers. Sure. Two blue, two blue teams just annoys me. Like, I can already imagine give, how... It, give me Matthews versus McDavid in the cup final. I'm going to be so irritated for every single second of the Leafs' lightning first round because of the identical jerseys going against each other. Okay. Anyway, on that note, thank you for listening, everyone. This was a mega podcast, but it was a mega day. It was a mega yeah. topic. We, we had a lot to get through. Um, if you want to help us keep this thing going and support us. There's a few really easy ways for you to do that. The number one way is to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. For a dollar a month, you get access to uh, the discord server, which best place uh, to interact with other ducks fans and to talk hockey and just to have fun. It's just the best. (laughs) Yep. And it's just a one freaking dollar. So really I recommend that $5 a month. You get access to two bonus podcasts. Um, this is a good time of year to hop onto that because the ones we do this time of year are usually going to be playoff predictions, awards. So we look more to the rest of the NHL there, but we also talk Ducks. Um, also, shout out to some people that have pledged recently. Uh, Malarkey7 joined on. I think you already gave him a shout out for five bucks a month. Uh, Jose Valenzuela, Eric Belger, Eliseo Zamora. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Uh, so shout out to those people. We appreciate you. So that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also find us on Apple podcasts and we actually have a new review. Mm-hmm. So from an OG of the, of the podcast. Yeah. Um, so, but check us out there. Leave us a rating and a review. If you leave us a review, we'll read it on the show. And so I'll read this one here. Um, Five star review. It's the title is these guys are great. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, I've been listening to these guys since 2018. And I absolutely love them. Had an extremely painful knee replacement surgery, and I couldn't actually even watch the games. They still did a podcast then after almost every game, and they literally saved my ducks for me. I still listen to every podcast every week. I wish there were more, and I still love them. I used to follow them as Spencer Woods on Twitter, but I was permanently suspended, and then as Bell's Pen, also permanently suspended. Not sure what's going on there. So now I only have the podcast I love. Well, Bell's Pen, uh, also Spencer Woods, thank you very much. Yep, Spencer's an OG. That's yeah. a name that really sticks out to me. One of our original listeners way back when. Yeah, seriously. So shout out to you, and uh, glad we can help through the yep. knee replacement surgery. That does yep. not sound fun. Nope, not at uh, all. Anyway, so yeah, leave us a, a review there. We appreciate those. They're a lot of fun. Um, and just search Crash the Pond and Apple Podcasts. You can also search for us on Spotify. We're there too. Leave us a rating. That goes a long way. We're on YouTube, youtube.com slash Crash the Pond. Check out the Sporting Tribune. Uh, just everything. follow Derek. <laughs> yeah, you got one sec. We got one question that came in from Brett Flo that I oh. think worth talking about. Any chance if the Ducks get number one pick, they go fan- Adam Fantilli due to him being bigger than Bedard? No. Not even, not even a question. It, it's yeah. The, the, that that's that's why I wanted to ask him to just kind of shoot that. The down. day the, the Ducks get the first overall pick, if that happens, like the the Bedard jersey is getting printed then, like one hundred percent. Yeah, it, it, it's Connor Bedard. Yeah, actually, I mean, selfishly, the reason I'm happy they finished last is because I don't have to research the like seven through 
12 oh, it's uh, like, yeah it's it's so great players. it's so great <laughs> this takes so much work off our plate 100 um, percent. anyway so yeah so check out derek lee on twitter if you aren't following him already um check out our website crash the pond.com crash the pond.com slash shop we have t-shirts mugs stickers and all the different ducks colors that you would want uh follow jake on twitter at reindeer games 91 and follow me on twitter um I actually have an article out right now, so go check that out on what's going on with the Ducks. And on that note, unless Jake has anything else here, mm-mm. we're out. Oh, have a great- wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I even gave you a chance. I know, but I'm jumping in. We haven't done this yet, so I want to do it really, really quickly. Oh, Tankathon? No. Oh. But we can do that also. <sighs> Thank you. This podcast you to- will never end. Thank you to everyone out there. This <laughs> has been an absolutely crappy season. Beyond all belief. I feel like this may have been one of the toughest seasons yeah. for us to cover, especially these last couple weeks. Um, especially. Um, Just playing out the, that string. Once the trade deadline was done. And the fact that we've had support from all of you, the fact that we've seen the Patreon continue to grow, the fact that we continually get listens, we continually get views. Um, it, it's always so humbling. And yeah. so from the bottom yeah. of my heart, I know the bottom of Felix's heart, Thank you so much. We love all of you. Um, thank you for what? This is our sixth season. How many seasons is it? What Six the heck seasons? Is it? We started it, in 1718. 1718, 18, 19, 19, 20, 20, 20 uh, 1, 21, this 22. Six? This is technically so, your five. That's our this fifth is the, season. Th- this is the sixth season, though. Yes. That we've covered. Yeah. So we have made it through six seasons. We've continued to grow. We have people that have been have here not for. not covered a single winning season. We've covered, yeah, we have. We've covered one. Yeah. 18, they got 19, swept. They got really... no seventeen, eighteen. They got swept in the playoffs, though. Oh yeah, yeah, seventeen, eighteen. I, I don't know how successful the season that was, but yes, yeah. But, uh, but I just want to say we love all of you out there. Thank you so much. This is kind of the the sappy thing I do at the end of every season. So I just it, it popped in my head that I wanted to go ahead and do this. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a little less sappy this season just because of how hard it's been. Just yep. Because of like, you know, it's, it's the classic human thing of like, you fixate on the negative and you kind of forget the positive, but it's not lost on us that people are listening, you know, even if it's just one person or a hundred or whatever, like the fact that people are listening, like, that's why we do it because it's fun to interact. It's fun to get people's reactions. It's fun to do this. And I mean, we made it through the shittiest season ever in this franchise's history and we still have listeners. We still are better than ever. So I'm. I'm almost scared of like what it's going to look like when this team's actually good. Same. Like like it's going to be interesting. So anyway, on that note, thank you everyone. And we will talk to you on Monday. So have a great weekend. Enjoy it. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.